Good evening. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless us. The Lord bless us with his presence. The Lord bless us with his peace. Thanks for that song. Peace. I would like to encourage us tonight again to listen to what the Holy Spirit would like to say to each one of us personally. I'm going to be sharing. Would you listen to what the still small voice wants to talk, tell you? And if you can lay aside your frustrations you've had during the day, and in peace, listen to him. Listen to him. And thanks for that song. Peace, peace in the presence of God. Peace is the, is the presence of God. Peace is living within the framework of his purpose, as we talked last night. Let's open our Bibles again to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. We're doing a study of 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 through 16. Actually, 13 to 16. We might look also at verse 12 uh, later. Remember that this passage is one sentence, at least in our King James, it's one sentence, and um, the main sentence, the main command, or the central of the, the sentence is, I, get, I give thee charge that thou keep this commandment. I give thee charge that thou keep this commandment. He tells us how to keep it without spot, unrebukable. He tells us when to keep it until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us we should keep it in the sight of God, in the presence of God. Let's read now and notice what it says. 1 Timothy 6, 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. The passage is telling us to keep the commandment, which I think is, is given in verse 12. It tells us how to keep it, but the, the largest part of the, of, the, of the passage is describing God. The largest part of the passage is describing who God is. So that in, we, in the presence of God, in the sight of God, we can obey the rest or fulfill the rest. And as I said last night, and I know you agree with me on this, that the concept we have of God or what we think about God is so important in our lives because how we think about God is the way we live. Um, not what I say about God. I'll say it again the other way. How I live shows how I think about God, not what I say. So it's important, and I think um, we need to 
I need to look more at who God is. The character of God, his person, who he is, is the foundation of everything, of all truth. It's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. His character gives guidelines to our lives, teaches us how to live. The word does, because the word is an expression of his character. It's breathed by him. Yeah. To know who God is, is gives us, teaches us how to live. Tonight, I'd like, last night we looked at it, that God, in the sight, we're in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, which means simply that he gave life to all things. God is life. And all life that exists comes from God. We talked about his creating all things and everything. and the, We talked about his greatness and we see in his creation. The expanse of the, of the universe and uh, the galaxy and then the millions of galaxies beyond and the complexity in his creation. Uh, the tremendous wisdom of God. We can't even start to imagine, understand his wisdom. And we are living in the sight of God, in the presence of God. As we look at this, we want to do a study, be studying on God. I'd like to encourage us just to open our hearts. And as we study about God, to, to allow the who God is and allow the Spirit and the Word and the who God is to work in our lives and to cleanse our lives, to straighten up our lives, bring us back on track again the person of God. Tonight, uh, first he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And then he says, and before Christ Jesus. I'm going to wait on this one, on Christ Jesus, to the latter part of the week. I'm going to talk first about who God is. Um, I'm not sure if it's the best way, but that's the way I think I'm going to do it. And talk about who Christ is later, later on in the week and his work. Um, then it goes on down and it says, In his time, when he comes back, he will reveal, he will show who God is. And again, it gives a list of who God is. And we'd like to look at those. And tonight we look at the one, who is the blessed? And when I first looked at that word, who is the blessed? Let's stop and think a little. How can we say God is blessed? How can we say that God is blessed? I understand very well when I say I am blessed. I can understand very well that he blesses me. I can understand when he says he blesses us. He blesses this service. I can understand that. But what does it mean when it says he is the blessed one? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean when he blesses me? What does it mean when he blesses you? What does it mean when he blesses everyone, which he does? What does that mean? Some people talk about um, blessed is, are the poor in spirit. That means happy. Oh, oh come on. It's more than that. I, I, don't, I, I understand. I understand. Happy are they that do this. Happy are they. But it's much more deeper than just happy. What is Blessed. To be blessed. It's the presence of God. It's the favor of God. It's God's help. 
It's God's support. It's God with us. And of course, we're happy. But just to say it's happy, there's much more to it. It's a lot deeper than that. To be blessed by God is to know that he loves me. To know that he's with me. To know he's going to help me. To know he's going to carry me through. Blessed by God. We need that, don't we? But what does it mean that he is blessed? Everything good that we need. Everything good that anyone, any created being ever needs comes from him. And there's another way we could say everything good comes from him. Everything good. All we need is in the blessing. You know, the grace of God, sometimes, the grace sometimes, we make it a little, I don't know if it's cheap or not, but we make grace cheap, yes. We think about grace only as, as saved by grace and not by works, and that's a very beautiful part of it. But grace is much more than that. Grace is the power, the presence, the help, the wisdom, and all of God in our favor. And that's all through Jesus Christ. His blessing is his person favoring me, helping me. He is the blessed one. And um, Strong says the word means supreme, supremely blessed. He is the supremely blessed one. He is, the commentator Jill says, let's see if you can t- listen carefully as I read this, who is blessed in himself in the perfections of his nature. Maybe you can think about that. We can't grasp all of it, but just, you know, who is blessed in himself, the presence of God himself is blessed in himself in the perfections of his nature, who is God all-sufficient, has enough in himself for himself and for all of his creatures. I'm going to read that again. He has enough in himself for himself and for all his creatures. There's enough. Who is the fountain and the author of all blessedness, temporal, spiritual, and eternal. The presence, the person of God has all the blessings. He is, how do you describe that? And I feel tonight like I know I can't. I can't even start to describe God, the blessed one. God, the fountain of everything good. Everything anyone and everyone and all over needs is in the person of God. This study is something we know. But this study, this word, blessed me in such a new way. We could say simply, God is good. He's the source of everything good. He's the fountain. He's his person. And in him we find. I concluded after studying this, this word, I concluded that the worst sin that humans can commit is to not love him. Because he is so good. We know it. We've known this all our lives. But to stop and think, you know, God is Absolutely good. He is the fountain. He is the source. In his person is is all the goodness that is needed. I'm going to read some verses again. I I haven't written here in my notes. 
Um, you can look them up if you can, except I might go fast. Much, maybe you can look them faster and I can read them. Uh, but I, I just, it's fine with me if you just sit and just meditate. Just drink in what the Word of God says about His goodness. In Mark 11, blessed, verse 10, blessed be the kingdom of our father David. David. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the kingdom. Why is the kingdom blessed? The presence of the king. And who the king is. Could you imagine, we just don't even think about it, could you imagine what it would be like if our king would be evil? If our king would be limited? He can only do so much, and then he'd say, sorry, I can't handle that. <laughs> but our kingdom is blessed, and we are blessed because of who the king is. The high priest asked Jesus in the trial. I guess the Jews used these terms. And the Jew, he said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Why did the Jews use that term? The Son of the Blessed. God is the Blessed One. Zechariah in his prophecy said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Luke 19, 38, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Romans 1.25 is talking about people that stray away from God. He says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The Creator is blessed forever. When I read that, it's like a lot of things in the Bible. I think I understand a little bit. But I feel there's a depth there that I can't reach. <laughs> the Creator who is blessed forever. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Mercies, comfort, blessing through Jesus Christ, blessing from God, the blessed one. 2 Corinthians eleven thirty one, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forevermore. Now remember when you read that phrase, can we, can we grasp that? I'm not saying that God is not like I am. I am blessed right now. Because I receive it from him. God is blessed not because he received it. He is blessed because of who he is. He is the source of all blessing. And you understand? Can we understand that? I'm not sure if I can quite. It's not saying God is blessed because someone blessed him. And so he's got this blessing. No, God is blessed forever. <clears throat> I like to read some verses in Psalms. Psalm 72 18 and 19 says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Only he does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The earth is filled with the glory of God, the goodness of God. Did you see the sunset tonight as we came in? Beautiful, isn't it? Where does that come from? This morning I went for a walk. Hey, Leon, love to live where you live. I, I live in a nice place too, but back in the woods, I took a walk back in the woods. You know what it's like when the sun comes up in the morning? I was walking down the meadow there and the sun was shining. 
and hitting the, the trees. And you know, it's almost golden green. And I just stand there and worship. And then I walk in the forest. You know what it's like when the sun shines in and the shafts of light and the light and the green and the forest? Beautiful. Peace. Why the beauty? The presence, the creation of the Creator. Why the beauty of the sunset? God is trying, I think, to tell us who He is. Such beauty, and we just, and sometimes we see things that just, wow, because God is beautiful. God is wonderful. God is good. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. Verse, uh, Psalms 97, verse 9 says, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. <laughs> all gods. And with the small letter, you know, not the capital letter. There is no other God like the God of Israel. There's no other God like the God creator. Think about his greatness, the creation, and all. Of, and he's much bigger than creation. I think that's why he threw all those galaxies out there, just to impress us. He is much bigger than his creation. Above all, far above all gods. Psalms 113.4, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Psalms 145.1-5, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. <laughs> his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. I should do that more. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty. You understand that? <laughs> I don't know if I understand it, but I know it's who he's talking about. The wonderful, glorious majesty of God. Isaiah 35, 2 says at the latter part of the verse, And they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. How does the world see the excellency and the beauty and the wonderfulness of God? It's all around us. It's shouting at us in creation. <laughs> but there's even a more powerful way than, the, than creation. We'll talk about that a little later. Psalms 8, verse 1. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Psalms 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Just taste this and try. Taste it. See. Is it good or is it not? Is it good? <laughs> taste and see. The Lord is good. So beautiful. Psalms 36, 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Oh, if we could only remember who God is, his greatness, his wisdom, his power, his glory, his majesty. And he loves us. And he says we can. The creator himself said, how I would love to gather you as chicks under my wings. Jesus. How I would love to gather you as chicks. How beautiful to trust him as little chicks under the wings of a chick, of the hen. 
Psalms 106.1, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. God is good. If God is good, why is there a hell? I can't answer all these questions, but I can know one thing. If God is good and you turn your back and walk away from him, you're separating yourself from anything good. That itself makes hell. Hell is a real place. I'm not saying it's not. But you know what I'm saying? Hell is the absence of everything good. It's the absence of God. That's why we fear him. He is so good. That's why we accept the framework we were talking about last night and stay within his limits. He is so good that we, cannot, we do not want to, we cannot afford. We, the worst thing we can do is separate ourselves from his goodness. He is so good. He's so wonderful. He loves us. Why would we turn around and walk away from him? He is so good and so wise. Listen to this. Why would we disobey him? How can we dare disobey a God like this? That's the way, you know, if the truth of the matter is that way, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying because I'm blaming you because you do and I don't. We all do it. The question is, why? How can we dare to disobey and to walk away, away from such a God? And you know, we're all sinners. We all have all disobeyed. We have all been rebellious. Oh, we know the rebel heart. We know what it's like, the rebel heart. But God is so good that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to bring us back to his goodness, back to him. Jesus answered and said unto him, this is John 14, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. God is good. God is all that we need. He is full of blessing and wonderfulness. And to come back to him, it's through Jesus. We come back to a relation to him of obedience and of surrender and of back in and with him. I appreciate what Brother Sam had to say tonight about the Lord's Prayer and our and the family. But you know another thing that's new about the, well, not only the Lord's Prayer, the New Testament. You know the Old Testament, they didn't call God Father. God was Jehovah. And, and the Lord of hosts. Jesus was the one that started saying, my Father. And then he said the startling words, your Father. Our Father. Our Father. He's your Father. That was a new concept brought in by the New Testament that Jesus brought. He's your Father. He's the Abba Father. This great big God. This wonderful, this wise, this God. He comes down he says, I want to be your Father. And if some of us maybe didn't have a good relationship with our fathers, I had the fortunate experience of having a good father, and some maybe didn't. And the ones who didn't might appreciate it more than the ones who have a good father. Sometimes that's the case. But when God says he wants to be our father, we know what he means, don't we? He wants to love us. He wants to be close. I saw a wedding, and we were at a wedding on Saturday, and and the father, when he took the bride and up to the bridegroom, and he got put, he just, 
and he just grabbed both of them. He grabbed his daughter and he grabbed the new son-in-law and just gave him a good hug. You know, such a father, just blessing them. Now, that fatherhood, the father, what a blessing to have a good father. I think God created fathers. Why did he make fathers? I think God created fathers away from the beginning so we'd understand what he wants to be to us and the relationship he wants to have with us. And that's why if you keep my words, if you work with me and you submit to me and you work with me, we will have a father-son relationship. We will come unto you. We will abide with you. We'll stay with you. Fatherhood through Jesus. The love of God. He loves us. Romans 2, verses 4 to 11. It's a little longer passage, but listen, about the richness of the goodness of God. But he's asking, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Some of you think the anger of God leads us to repentance. The anger of God is a real part of God. He is good, and one of the requirements of being good is hating everything that's not good. You can't mix them. You, know? you can't mix them up because he wants to have everything good. If he wants something good, you have to get rid of everything that's not good. If you want to produce good coffee, you've got to get rid of bad coffee. And you've got to do it right. And there's a lot of requirements to good coffee. I like coffee. You want to make what? Good cabinets. You want to make good whatever. You need to get rid of everything that's not good, and you have to be, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of Spanish? You have to be demanding. That's, that's not quite right. You have to be, you have to exigir. I'm sorry. You have to be demanding. It's not quite the word I want. But you have to demand excellence. You know what I mean? You have to demand excellence, right? Some of you here make fine furniture or fine things. The finer you make it, the more demanding you have to be when you make it, right? You know what I mean? The goodness of God is so good and so perfect and tuned, fine-tuned, that he hates anything that gets in the way of, his, of goodness. And so he has a righteous anger against anything that's not good. Then let's start reading this again. Or despisest thou the richness, riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impatience, Penitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To him, to them, pardon, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. God does not change his laws, move his laws to fit us in. God's laws are set by his own character of what is good. And what is not good. God's laws are set by, his, by who God is. Everything that is good. 
is part of God. And everything that is not good is separated, being separated or different than the character of God. Romans 11 verse 22 says, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. Unto them which fell, severity. But toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. The Lord, and then in verse chapter, um, 2 Peter 3, 9, the goodness and the loving God. We look at this goodness, this thing of God's anger, God's wrath and God's goodness, God's love, God's mercy. And I'm not sure, I, I'm sure I don't, I'm not sure, I'm sure I don't understand this all well, but if we can understand what true goodness is, and everything that is not good is bad. <laughs> is sin. And that is set by the character of God and the will of God and the wisdom of God, the love of God. But in spite of the fact that the world is so lost and it's getting worse, it seems like the darkness is getting worse. It seems like it's just moving in on us. The darkness of this world, the darkness of sin. God is good and God will still be victorious. Evil can never defeat good. Satan can never destroy the goodness of God. The goodness of God will always be victorious. I'm not sure about this one. You think about it. Maybe I'm, I'll say this this way. But where, God, where Satan can destroy the goodness of God is when he can get us to turn away from God and go against God. But Satan can do nothing against the goodness of God in heaven, in all his glory. God is victorious. He will always be victorious. All the goodness of God, Satan cannot touch it. That's why I think Satan is so determined to destroy us. Because the only thing he can do against God is get us to turn away from God. You can think about that. Maybe there's some other aspects to that that I don't understand. But the Lord, in spite of that, the Lord, the end of the world has not come. Tonight we're talking at the supper table. You know, maybe the Lord will come soon and solve some of the problems. <laughs> solve all of the problems. Solve all of the problems. Maybe the Lord will come soon and we won't have to face the future. We don't know what the future holds, but I don't think it's going to be easier. It's going to get worse. But why hasn't he come yet? First, Second Peter 3, again, the goodness of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't given up. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The Lord hasn't come yet because he wants more people that are in sin to come to his goodness, to repent, to come to God. God is so good. God is so wonderful. It's almost like, you know, it is almost incredible. The greatness and the goodness of God. That's why I say the worst sin is to not love him. How can we, on such a God, how can we turn our backs and say, I don't want the God, I don't want the, how did they say it? I don't want the church stuff. I don't want religion. I don't want religion. 
and turn our backs to God and disobey God and just walk away from everything that's good. How dare we do that? Boys and girls, I wish somehow we could plant in your hearts. Why? I sometimes ask myself, and yet I understand because I do it and I did it and I've done it. Why do we turn away from the goodness of God? Why would we ever want to sin and live separated from God? What are the benefits? What are the advantages? Why would we? You know, it's absolute foolishness to walk away from God. Young boys, I wish you, are you listening to me? Girls, can you hear me? Do you understand? And yet Satan deceives us. And he works in our minds and gets us to think all mixed up. And we think it's great to go sin. But if we understand who God is and the greatness of God and his goodness, his love, his mercy. Why wouldn't we love him? <laughs> if, you say, if you'd make a list here, I, have, I don't know if I'll do it this week or not. But you make a list here. Go through the New Testament and study what it says about Jesus. Then go through the New Testament and say what it says about Satan. Make that list. Set them side by side. And who would want to follow the kingdom of darkness? It's incredible how Satan can deceive people and people turn away from God. To love God, to follow God is the only reasonable thing that we can do. And to give him all we have. Totally surrender to his goodness, to his greatness. God's goodness, God's beauty, God's wonderfulness is on display in creation. I like to, I like to notice things. I, I am funny, you know, I like this. I, I see a mushroom down in the woods there and I get down on my tummy and I'm looking at it and taking pictures of it. There's beauty in a mushroom. I pick up an acorn. Of course, this brings back memories. We don't have acorns in Costa Rica, but I used to play with acorns when I was a little boy. I pick up, pick up an acorn. And there's so much beauty all around us. Flowers. The goldenrod that's all over now. Again, that's something that brings back memories. You know, the goldenrod. All the flowers and all the beauty, the sunset, the sky is beauty. But you know, there's something that shows the beauty of God in a more beautiful, better way. What is it? Let's go back to, pardon, people. Let, thank you. Let's go back to, we talked yesterday about the purpose of God, why he created us. And the importance of knowing why his purpose and that his purpose limits us to a certain thing. Now let's go back, but we didn't talk about, did we, what the purpose is. Let's go to Genesis 1, quickly here. Genesis 1. Why are we here? What are we doing here? Who am I? What am I doing here? Have you heard that little story that um, Ray Vanderlaan says about a rabbi that was out walking in the night, years ago, of course, and walking out in the night in the darkness, and he got on the wrong path, and instead of getting home to his house, to his village, he got to a Roman fort. And in the darkness, sort of confused, and the guard yells out, and he says, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi thinks a little bit and then he says, Hey, how much do they pay you to ask me those two questions? And the guard says, I get one denarius a day for doing this. He says, I'll give you two denarius a day if you come to my house every day and ask me those questions. Who are you? 
and what are you doing here? Young boys, it's good to think. Girls, it's good to think. Who are you? Now, I'm not asking what your last name is, if it's Zook or Yoder or Schrock or Miller or whatever. I'm not asking the last name. That's just identification. But who am I? What am I here for? You know, who am I? That's a question people grapple with. And young people, if you can solve, resolve that now, for the rest of your life, it would be to your advantage. A lot of old people, a lot of people run through the life bumping their heads and trying to resolve who I am. Some of them try to be a clown. Others try to be moneymakers, whatever you want to call it. Others try to live for pleasure. But who am I and what am I here for? What was God's purpose in creating us? It's important we know that. Remember the toucan yesterday and the ducks? Why did God create? What is here? Let's look at it here. Genesis 1, verse 26. And here again, as I said last night, we didn't read it, I think, but God thought about it and planned it before he made us. Verse 26, he's thinking. Verse 27, he did it. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Then verse 27, after he thought and planned, he had his purpose clear, then he created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. What is our purpose? This thing of being created in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? That's one of those things that we can understand the surface of it, I think. But I think what it means is that I was not created to, be my, to do my own thing. I was created to be like Him. I was created to show His likeness. I was created to show His, his um, image. And that's why Brother Daniel, right? Brother Dan is right. That none of the birds, none of the seas, none of the galaxies can show the image and the likeness of God like we can. Because we were created for that. And this thing of having dominion over the fish and over the birds and all this is part of it. But if you just stop and think, who am I? And we all struggle with this. I could talk a lot about this for the young people. We all struggle, who am I and what am I here for? And we try so hard to identify myself. I'm big and strong. I can really play ball or whatever. Or I'm real smart. Oh, intelligent. You know? Or I'm uh, real beautiful. But you know, we can find rest when we know that I was created to be like him. Just to be like him. To humble ourselves and get rid of our proud human selfish nature. To repent, to break, to surrender, to submit, to draw into his presence to where the beauty of God is shown in me. And you know, this is a wonderful thing. The church of Jesus Christ is, should, oh Lord, help us how we fail. The church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, should show the glories of God, the who God is. And again, every law that's in the Bible, any instruction it's have, it's a, it's, a, it's a guideline of how we should live because of who God is and because of God's goodness. And it's clarifying to us what is good and what is bad. You know? But if I could understand, you know, you don't need to be smart. 
You're smart enough the way God made you. You don't need to be pretty or uh, handsome just the way God made you. You don't need to be big. You don't need to be little. You don't need to be thin. You don't need to be heavy weighted. All you need to be is what God wants you to be. And right in the situation where you are, you can show God. The church is beautiful. It should be beautiful. You know, our children are beautiful. Brother Gerald, I see your little girl there on your lap. Have you ever had people tell you, your children are beautiful? Wow, they obey. You ever go to the doctor's office? My children, the youngest one's 16 now. So we don't have the little ones. I miss them. I have some grandchildren coming soon. But you know, you know, have you ever heard people say, what beautiful children you have? You take them into the doctor's office and they're not climbing up the walls and knocking things down. You can take them in the supermarket and they behave. Our children are beautiful. Some time ago, funny thing happened. I was in the supermarket there. And all at once I saw my daughter do something. I never in my 16 years. She's about, she was younger then. But all at once I saw her dive out and grab a little girl and hold her down. And the little girl started screaming and kicking. And I thought, what are you doing, Dorcas? <laughs> and I went up to see, and then I discovered that the mother had told her, catch her, catch her, hold her. And it was her daughter, her mother said, catch her, hold her. And the little girl was screaming and kicking. Well, your girls don't do that, do they? Not if you discipline them. My girls didn't. Because you taught them how to behave. And you know what? The world looks on our children, and they say, beautiful. Wow. You know what? Even a child. And show the glory of God. Orderly, obedient, happy, cheerful. Jumpy, that's okay. Energy, that's okay. Lots of energy, that's okay. But still orderly and obedient. Children can show the glory of God. Young girls, ladies, oh please. Beauty is not in the eyebrows or in your eyes and your body. Beauty is the character that shines out of your face. I remember once an old a man in Chicago, and he's not, well, recently he's, he's had a sort of a change of heart. He's a different man. He's old now, and he's a friend of mine. And I'm not sure if he's found the Lord really or not, but he's really had a change. He used to be a hard, rough, mean, angry man. And um, one day he told me, he says, you know what? One of the ladies of your church came here to buy some milk. He said, She's beautiful. And I know something. I know her. She wasn't beautiful as far as uh, people say beautiful. She wasn't beautiful. She's beautiful. You know what makes the beauty of a, of a girl? A clean, open face. You can see the purity on the face. You ever notice that? You can see pride and vanity and lust and all those things. You can see it in the eyes. Young men, you know you men are beautiful? When I, I ask you to stand up, but I won't. You take a young man here and, and you, you live a clean, honest life. You submit to your parents and you are what God wants you to be. And you've got, a, again, a clean face. You've taken care of things between you and God. You've repented. You've taken care of your sins. You're being what God wants you to be. I've had people, for the glory of God, I've had people tell me, the same man has told me, your children, your young people are beautiful. Have you noticed what's happening to young people in the world today? Drugs, alcohol, and now pornography, and all this wild music and stuff that's on the internet. Costa Rica, the youth are going fast. But we have young people who have clear faces, dressed right, and live clean lives, responsible. They tell me, he's told me again and again, your children are so beautiful. My children, my two of my children walk by to go to school. 
teach school. They're older now. They're beautiful. Young people, you can be beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing the Church of Jesus Christ has is young people who are honest and who serve God and love God and follow God's God. When they look at you, you're a better show of the goodness of God than the flowers. The ladies are the beauty of the goodness of God. I had once, years ago, when I was still single, we used to have young men come to the house and try to witness to him. And anyway, went to bed the one night and we were sleeping with this guy. He was there one week, one weekend, never came back, never saw him again. But he was there, and that night in bed, we were, we were laying right there talking in bed, and he said, you know what, he said, your, your sisters are beautiful. I wish I could marry a girl like that. I said, uh, I could have kicked him out of bed. You know, what do you think? You're going to get married to my sisters. Who are you? But I understood him. He was saying, he said, where I come from, there are no girls like that. Oh, I wish I could marry a girl like one of your sisters. You know, he's right. That's why I want to encourage the young ladies. Don't worry so much about the, the hair, the fixing, the way your body, the size. Um, take care of yourself. Keep clean, sure. But you know, the beauty of a woman is the meek and quiet spirit, the presence of God. They show an aspect of the beauty of God. Men do. Fathers Please, Father, let's stand up. We need to pray and seek God's face. A father in the home. Please, fathers, I don't know what all situations you have here. Please, fathers, don't let business and materialism and money and pleasure and a lot of other things take away from being what God is like in a home. A father, a mother, a wife. Women, you know, Christian ladies are beautiful. They're flowers in the church. They're much more better. They show the glory of God. What would Jesus be like as a mother? Well, you know what? Every single one of us can do that. You don't have to have money. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have a lot of education. You just pray that you can be what Jesus would be right where you are. The fathers, be just what Jesus would be where you are. Old men. Elderly ladies, how would Jesus be? Brother, let me see, last night, Brother Joe was telling me about uh, some of his health issues. You know, some people suffer physical weakness and physical sickness. No one asks for that, and no one volunteers. No one volunteers. But what would Jesus be like as a sick person, as a person with weakness? What would Jesus be like? You know that even though people like that can show the glory of Jesus? People that suffer, people in difficulty. What would Jesus be like in that circumstance? What would Jesus be like? And some of the most difficult circumstances is where the, the, exact, the, the testimony is so beautiful, so precious. What is Jesus like? What would Jesus be like as a widow? What would Jesus be like as a widower? And if we could catch a picture of that. We were created, the purpose we were created is to be to show the image and the glory of God. To show the goodness of God. This God that's so big and wonderful, He is so wise, and yet He wants to live within our hearts. And He wants to shine forth. And when people get in contact with us, they should meet Jesus. That is why we're here. And that is why, again, the purpose we have 
has limits, has a framework around us, has limits. We don't like the word limits. But just like a toucan, to be a toucan needs to stay within the limits of being a toucan. To be like Jesus limits us to only do, listen to this, to only do what Jesus would do. Young people, here's a challenge for you. If Jesus would not do it, you finish the rest. Then I won't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Jesus would do it, go for it. <laughs> do it. You know that story, uh, what's that old book? In His Steps. That's a, on a simple way of just living the Christian life. Is just, I'm just going to do what Jesus would do. Every decision I make, I'm going to do what Jesus would do. And if Jesus wouldn't do it, I'm not going to do it. If Jesus would do it, I'm going for it. That's what we're here for. That's the purpose. And you know what? I don't know how many people are here tonight. But each one of us are unique. Each one of us are different. You know, there's never been... What's your name? They're right up front here. Yes. Pardon? Derek. Derek? Yes. There's never been... In all the, how many billions of people in the world? Someone tell me, is it four? Seven. Uh, I I forget my math. Anyway, in all the people in this world, there's never been a person exactly like Derek. There never has been, never will be. He's absolutely unique. There's people that look like him, but he's the only one. And that's true of each one of us. There's no one exactly like you. We are unique. God created us. And God set us in a certain situation. And each one of us can be what Jesus would be in me. What Jesus would be in my circumstances. That's our goal. That's our purpose. Uh, Derek, I'm not sure who your father is. I'm going to see if I can see who he looks like. But you know, you're not called to be a father yet. So maybe someday. Don't try to run his, don't try to do his job. Don't try to tell dad what to do. Well, you can maybe give him some advice. You might need it. Um, <laughs> but you're not called to be a father. Better not. Better not. Because you're not called to be a father yet. You're not called to be a husband. But right now, how old are you? 17. 17. How would Jesus want to do in a 17-year-old boy's life right where he is right now? And you know what? That's, we're to have full access to that. Nothing limits you except our own pride and our selfishness. Nothing limits you. You don't need a lot of money, don't need a lot of education, don't need a lot of... You just be what you used to be. Isn't that wonderful? And you don't need to worry to try to imitate others and look like others and forget this thing of trying to impress others. Just let it go. and Just be what Jesus wants me to be. Tremendous freedom and tremendous satisfaction and joy in just being, because that's why you're here. That's why I'm here, to show Jesus. If you're a wife, if you're a mother, if you're a grandmother, if you make cabinets, if you make mini barns, if you milk cows, if you, whatever you do, make sure it's something Jesus would do. <laughs> whatever you do, just be what Jesus would be in those circumstances. And that's, we have access to that, every single one of us. We don't need to try to be someone else. Forget it. We preach the same way. We don't need to try to imitate other preachers. We just be what Jesus gives us to be, you know. Just do what we are. The truth is, we're all so needy. We make so many mistakes. We're so needy. If Jesus doesn't help us every day, we cannot do this. That's why we need to pray a lot. Because of our selfishness and our pride, and our, that hinders us. But if God can help us, some of us, I was going to say a while ago, you know, 
We each have a sphere where we work, and the mothers are in the homes and the fathers. Uh, we all have, you know, all the people that are here tonight, we can probably reach quite a few people and show them what Jesus is like. I imagine no one here has totally the same contact with everyone else. We all have sort of different contacts, different people, different connections, right? Different people see us. When you go to town, when you go wherever you go, don't think about being pretty, don't think about being handsome, don't think about being smart. Think about being like Jesus. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. We're created to be in his likeness and in his image. And to show this great, big, wonderful, good God. This God is so good. There's nothing that gets close to the wonderfulness of serving God. Such a God. You know, I, me, I can be, I can serve him. I can show at least a little bit of his beauty, of who Jesus is. Absolutely. You can too. You can show the beauty of Jesus right where we are. Hey, you can surprise your mom and surprise your dad. I'm going to change some way that I respond. I'm going to be like Jesus would be as a son. We don't have much about that. We have a little bit in Luke, how Jesus was as a son. Want to surprise your dad? Well, you're probably already doing it. But if you aren't, you get your life straightened up with God and you start being like Jesus as a son and as a daughter. That's the most, that, that is really what is fulfilling. It's not the money in the pocket. It's not the smarts. It's not the beauty. It's being like Jesus. Being like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being such a great, big, wonderful God. The blessed one. So beautiful, so good. So wonderful. Lord, we thank you. And the Lord, we thank you for creating us. We thank you for the purpose. And we thank you that tonight you show us what that is. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our pride, our envying of others, and our trying to be something you don't want us to be. We pray tonight that you would minister to the needs of our hearts. Pray for the young people. Pray for the children. And that the children could understand, Lord, that they could understand this. And we could all, older people, young people, we could experience the freedom and the joy of just being what you want us to be, right where we are today. You know the people, everyone here tonight, you know the needs of the hearts, and we pray that your spirit would minister to us tonight. Still small voice speaking and drawing us to you. And if there's anyone here tonight that has said or has thought that they don't want to serve you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give them a calling and they would understand and turn that around and come back to you, Lord. You're calling us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>